All right. Hello and welcome to the More and More podcast. This is Hampton. And as always, I am super excited to be with you guys today. Hey, listen, I want to dive into the subject um, of social media today. Now, I know this is like a weird topic. Um, I know I tell you guys to follow more and more um, on Instagram every week, and I tell you guys to follow me on Instagram every week, but I think this is an important topic to discuss, especially considering some of the studies that I read um, this week in preparation for this podcast. Um, I also, really quick, want to touch on some some feedback from our last episode on abortion. If you guys remember, if you haven't listened, you should go listen right now. You should pause this podcast and go listen. Um, But last week, or two weeks ago, I guess, we talked about abortion and the issues that come into play when we talk about the new laws that have been passed. Uh, Quite frankly, um, some of the feedback on that uh, is going to take too much time that I currently have to address. And so, uh, as this podcast will come out hopefully early next week, this is Thursday, I think like the, what, what is it today? The 13th. Um, this podcast will come out probably early next week. I'm going to be recording with Pat, uh, Dr. Patrick Wright, um, who I know is Pat, that's why I said that. Um, I'm going to be recording with him next week, talking about abortion and addressing some of the questions and feedback you guys asked. So if you gave some feedback a couple weeks ago, just know I have seen it, I have heard it, and I'm going to address it. Um, next on the docket. Oh, Caleb is still out. We love Caleb. Uh, miss you, bud. He's going to edit this podcast for us. Um, so all of that said, let's go ahead and jump into what I wanted to talk about today. The question I want to try to answer, um, today is whether or not social media is a net benefit for Christian college students or whether or not social media is a, um, is a drainer on college students. Social media gets a bad rap every sermon I've heard in like the past, I don't know, five years geared at college students, especially college females for whatever reason, um, has basically painted social media as this kind of like, um, I don't know, this pariah, like it's, it's something we should totally avoid. And yet all of these um, pastors that we have include their Instagram handles on things. And so we don't really know where to place it because it's useful for advertising and marketing. In fact, it's not just useful, it's vital, I would say, especially for ministry. Like if you're in ministry and your whole thing is like avoid social media altogether, um, then I don't, I don't really know what to do. But some, some things have happened recently, I would say. Um, some studies have come out, some, some weird things that we're going to talk about as far as censorship have happened that make social media not just... I think dangerous, uh, as we all know it to be, but also it, it kind of should reformat, I think, the way that Christians talk and use social media, talk about and use social media. So without further ado, I'm going to jump into some uh, articles that I wanted to touch on. I've pulled up several, uh, I guess, discussions of social media. First one is from Huffington Post. Now, I just want to say, I don't like endorse HuffPost as a reputable, like, like I don't know, news website. But the title of the article is this, Social Media is Changing the Way College Students Deal with Mental Health for Better or for Worse. Now, this is not new information for you, users of social media. Um, it is certainly not, uh, I guess, a, like a vital contrast in the way you think about social media. If you have been around any sort of, um, I don't know, discussion about social media, you know that social media typically has an adverse, uh, bad effect on the mental health of the average college student. But I want to t- 
talk more about some of these statistics among college students. Uh, so here's the deal. Social media usage has increased nationally by almost 1,000% in the last eight years, uh, especially people between 18 and 29 years old. 1,000%. Think about that. Uh, that is an unbelievable statistic. Ten times um, the amount of social media usage. Uh, more than 98% of college-age students use social media. 98%. That, think about that. 98%. That may be the most monolithic statistic among college students I've ever heard. That, I mean, that, that's unreal. To, to put it in perspective, 99% of college students are between the ages of 18 and 25. So that means you are more likely to have an old person in your class than you are. You are slightly more likely to have an older person in your class than you are to have someone who doesn't use social media. That's nuts. So social media is absolutely more prevalent than it's ever been. No doubt about it. Uh, let's see. A UCLA study in the same Huffington Post article found that 27.2% of students spend more than six hours on social media a week. That was in 2014, and it was up from 19.9% in 2007. So undoubtedly, that has gone up. In related statistics... Check this out. There's a, there's a figure on here that demonstrates the amount of time spent socializing with friends in hours per week. So the amount of students that spend more than 16 hours per week socializing with friends has gone from 38% in 1997 all the way down to less than 20% in 2014. So college students are spending way less time socializing with their friends. Now, the amount of students spending 6 to 15 hours socializing with friends has stayed about the same since 1997, but check this out. This is the, the important statistic. The amount of students who spend fewer than 5 hours a week socializing in person with their friends, the, um, the amount of people spending less than 5 hours has gone from less than 20% to almost 40% since 1997. And so the reality is, is the students are spending more time on social media and less time with their friends. That's just the reality. Pew Research, to go to a different one, more, a little bit more reputable than Huffington Post, Pew Research is this research bank and this institution. They research all kinds of stuff. But they spent some time researching Facebook and YouTube. Uh, they found that Facebook and YouTube are the most used social media sites uh, among adults. 73% of um, adults in America admit to using YouTube, while 69% admit to using Facebook. Now, out of that 69%, 73% of those adults admit to going on Facebook once a day. So to break that down, that's 73% of the 69%, which means that about 52% of all American adults are on Facebook at least once a day. That's incredible, 52%. That's, that's, that's amazing. In addition, Facebook is popular among all demographic groups, but some adults are more likely to use it. Uh, for instance, 75% of women, U.S. adults, uh, are using Facebook while only 63% of men. And this is as of 2019 in May. 8 and 10, that means 79 to 80% of 18 to 29-year-olds are using Facebook. 80%. That's, that's pretty incredible. 
YouTube, Instagram, and Snapchat are their most popular online platforms among teens. Teens, I think we already knew that. This is an interesting one. Lower income teens are more likely to use uh, Facebook than higher income teens. Now I want to jump in to a couple of other statistics that I think are important and then get to my last article and then give you my thoughts on social media as a whole for Christians. Many Facebook users, check this out. Facebook users, this is the t- statistic that I think is most important, say they do not, did not realize that the platform, platform, not platform, platform classifies their interests. So in case you didn't know, you can go onto the ad preferences page and it will tell you how Facebook has categorized your, um, your preferences. What Facebook does is they keep track of some of your data and then they give you ads based on that data. Now, 74% of adults did not know that Facebook maintained this list of interests and traits. 51% of adults are not comfortable with that. And 27% said that Facebook didn't even accurately represent them. And so what is happening here is that Facebook, not only are people using social media more, especially Facebook and Instagram, not only are college students using it more, but Facebook is actually capitalizing on that trend and they're actually categorizing your preferences, your searches, your data, and they're marketing posts, ads, all of the above to you. They're actually saying, we think this person is going to be most interested in this content, and so we're going to show them that content above everything else. This, I think, is setting a pretty dangerous precedent, but we haven't even scratched the surface. In a related article this week, um, there is a conservative commentator. Um, I, I won't... His name is uh, David Crowder. Oh, no, David Crowder. That's not right. Stephen Crowder. David Crowder is a famous Christian musician. That's my bad. I I got the Christian uh, brain going. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. Um, Stephen Crowder was recently uh, punished on YouTube for what I would describe as right-wing conservative views, uh, what they would describe as homophobia. Um, He is a right-of-center by far, far right, even not alt right, not to be confused with alt right. I probably need to define that difference one day. He's a far right con- commentator, conservative, and he uh, made a joke about a a gay news reporter. That joke was then um, determined by YouTube to not be in violation of their policies. Now, basically, YouTube evaluates some of these bigger names. They decide whether or not that person is in violation of their policies. Again, this is all in the trend of YouTube being a social media platform, which essentially it is. Anybody can post videos on there. YouTube determined Steven Crowder to not be in violation. About a week after that, this reporter started another social media campaign to get Steven Crowder removed from YouTube for homophobia. Steven Crowder, this conservative right-wing guy, was not removed from from YouTube, but YouTube decided that they would demonetize all of his videos. So they're basically removing the ability for him to make ads. Now he has got millions of subscribers. He's got millions of people that listen to his YouTube videos and watch them. He's got millions of people that listen to his podcasts. So this is kind of a big deal for them to demonetize him. They have chosen to take away a form of revenue. They've chosen to take away uh, his ability to make money on his opinions and chosen ultimately to censor his content, even though they privately determined that content to not be in violation with their rules. Now, there's a lot of issues at play here. But basically, 
We've seen this week through the Stephen Crowder thing, we've seen social media be able to have two effects on our culture. This is, again, a faith and culture podcast. So we're going to get to the faith part in a minute. And I, I can tell you, I don't, I don't like Stephen Crowder's comments here. I don't like the, uh, the homophobia that he seemed to display. I, I don't like any of that. That's not, he, he shouldn't have done that. that. There's no doubt. I'm not standing by his comments. I'm saying that there is a um, legitimate question to be asked as far as Christian worldview um, with these questions, with these uh, happenings from this week. Questions are this. First question is, is using social media beneficial? That's the question I told you I wanted to answer today. Second, is the power that social media has beneficial? Which is a totally different question. Okay. And third, what should the role of social media be in curating culture? When I say curate, I mean to curate, I mean determining the way in which our culture is going to operate. We've got to come to these conclusions as Christians because social media is not going away. Trending upward. Everybody's using social media. Everybody's scrolling through Instagram, comparing themselves, everybody. So I want to answer these three questions, and then I'm going to tell you some things I like and some things I hate from this past week. Um, as far as culture, those are going to be hopefully lighthearted things, um, but they're going to be, uh, we're going to try to get out of here. First thing is this, is social media beneficial for the Christian? Now, I understand. It would make me a hypocrite to say it is absolutely not beneficial. Make me a hypocrite. But I do want to real quick go through the dangers of social media. There's never been a time in history, especially among American youth, where rates of depression have been higher. There's never been a time where we've been more inactive. And I would say from a country standpoint, there's never been a time when our country has been more divided. That's evident on the college campus. There are protests all the time on college campuses, um, debating political things, debating social issues, debating all kinds of things. And so the reality is, is that social media is contributing to this divide. That's, there's no doubt about it. What we tend to do is silo ourselves and only listen to people that affirm our opinions, and therefore we never cross the aisle and hear from other people. In fact, Facebook makes sure this happens. I just told you, they identify your interest or what they perceive as your interest and they market content based on that. And so social media is actually in the business of making us more divided. They silo you into where uh, on my page there's going to be things about sports, there's going to be posts about, um, I, don't, I don't know, about politics, there's going to be all kinds of posts, and that's pretty much it. And I'm going to get to hear sounding boards for my own content. Same is true with Twitter. Twitter does the exact same thing. Instagram does it. The search page is full of things they think you'll like, posts we think you'll like, people we think you'll like. So I want to say social media is definitely contributing to this divide, and it's definitely contributing to the mental health statistics. I mean, think about what we do every day. We scroll through social media. We compare ourselves. Social media convinces us that other people have way more interesting lives than they actually do. I mean, I think Drake had a line about this, right? Posting, about posting pictures of places you've been previously to try to make your life today sound more interesting. So we do all the time, man. I do it. I'm a 24-year-old single pastor, and nothing bothers me more or sets me in more insecurity than when I scroll through and there's a 21-year-old Christian kid who just got married or a 19-year-old who's a pastor at a camp getting paid a good amount. Or my friends with kids. I got best friends who have children, and sometimes it legitimately bothers me. 
Because I thought I would have kids by now, right? Letting you know my life. That's what we're about here at the More and More Podcast, getting personal. It causes us to compare ourselves. It causes us to think our real life is not as good. And then it causes us even more, uh, a little bit of dishonesty. It makes us dishonest, man. It really does. It makes us wish... that we could uh, make our lives better. And so what we do is we post pictures of our life and try to caption them with the most clever thing. I mean, I posted a, ca- a picture of myself on Instagram this week dressed like Thor. Shout out to Best Week Ever at Shandon Baptist Church. Posted a picture dressed like Thor, and all I could think of was like, dude, this is a good picture. I got to get a picture of this. This will be good on my Instagram. So on some level, we have to at least... Be willing to admit that social media, while I think it is a tool, the same way guns are a tool, social media has contributed to division, it's contributed to bad mental health, it's contributed to sin, it's contributed to all that. My contention is that most college students are not equipped to handle the dangers of social media, which is comparison, depression, division, isolation. Studies show that while 98% of people are using social media, the rate of isolation... So we're supposed to be more connected because 98% of college students are using social media, and yet college students feel more isolated than they ever have. It's just a reality, man. Social media definitely has some destruction, but does that mean we shouldn't use it? Does that mean we shouldn't use it? I'm going to say this. I think it's for each Christian to determine for themselves whether or not social media is worth using. I think each Christian, I I don't think it's a sin to use social media. If the argument is uh, that social media, since it contributes to um, depression, since it contributes to my sin of comparison, uh, that I just shouldn't use it, that's actually, it's a sound argument. You You can avoid the sins of it by getting off of it, for sure. But I don't think it's that if social media can lead to sin, we have to avoid it, because anything can lead to a sin, right? I know people with coffee addictions, Right, So they should stop drinking coffee so much, but that doesn't mean for everyone to drink coffee that it's a sin. For some people, it may be a sin to use Instagram at all. For some people, it may not be. What I'm advocating for is wisdom. I don't think it's wrong to use social media. I'm saying we need to be wiser about how we do it. We need to be more wise about how we use social media. So what are some wise ways you as a Christian college student can use social media? Man, set the timer. Give yourself 20 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day. Find out what you're currently spending on social media and cut it in half immediately. Something I found useful is I deleted the Facebook app from my phone. So now I have to actually, and I've blocked it actually on my phone. So I now have to open my computer, log into my computer, and type in Facebook to even go on Facebook. Delete the Instagram app from your phone. Instagram has a website feature. Delete the Twitter app from your phone. Like, deleting the apps could be a really good way to easily do this. Not just deleting the apps, but blocking them on your phone. I think if you have to actually access a computer to use the apps, you'll use them a lot less. I'm telling you. I blocked them on my phone, so that way I have to use my computer to do it. It's been super helpful. Set the timer. Have someone hold you accountable. Stay off the search page. 
on Instagram. Jeez. That thing is a nightmare, huh? Think about that. The search page? No thank you. I don't want any part of that. I'm saying there are wise ways to use social media. If at all. If at all. Stop posting. Go on a fast. Only post things that have other people in them. That's what I found to be helpful. I'm not going to post any selfies of me in some, some weird place, right? Don't back post anything, only post in the moment. There are just, there are wise ways to use this. Wise ways. The Gospel Coalition has some good articles on this if you want to Google that. John Piper has written some stuff on Desiring God on social media. I'll probably find a way to link those, but there are wiser ways to use social media. So the first question Should Christians use social media? Christians that are not under conviction by the Holy Spirit, that social media is a sin, are permitted to use social media. But remember, Paul says all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. So that's answer to question number one. Question number two, what role does social media play in censorship and in determining division? I think that was the second question. Well, They play a huge role, and we've got to acknowledge that. They play a huge role. I mean, this is the, this is, they're, they're now, you got to think, they're, Facebook is curating your interests and giving you content. They're determining our culture. They're determining what you see. Facebook is totally, totally involved in your life more than you know. In fact, there was an interview on the Sam Harris podcast called Making Sense, where he interviewed this lady named Renee DeResta. And she said that Facebook was instrumental in determining the election. Now, I'm not talking about collusion. I'm not talking about Russian spies. I'm talking about Russian bots creating these pages and stirring up division. Facebook is absolutely adding to the problem of division, which is all the more reason for Christians to be wise about how they use it. What I think about censorship, I think it's bad all the way around. I think First of all, just as an American, I think the Constitution grants us all speech. Any speech, I would say anything goes. Now, the best argument for eliminating bad ideas, racist ideas, homophobic ideas, is not less speech. It's not limiting those ideas. It's actually more speech. It's letting people who are not homophobic root out the, those that are homopho- homophobic with good ideas and good argument. I think the same about... Uh, Christianity, right? Like the way to defeat what I think is a bad idea in atheism is not through eliminating the atheist perspective from the public sphere. It's by allowing atheists to present their arguments and presenting better ones, answering their discussions. I think censorship is always wrong. And I actually think um, that even censoring like Nazis and stuff like that is bad. It's a bad idea. Because what we do is when we hide things like Nazism, like homophobia, like racism, when we hide it, we actually give it a license to work underground. We assume that if we push it underground, that that'll squash it. But what those ideas is they fester. They fester like an open, just nasty sore, right? The best way to cure infection is to clean it out and put some air on it. Homophobia is gross. Racism is gross. So we should let them out in the open so that people can see how gross they are and then crush them with good ideas. I think YouTube should not be in the business of censoring people, especially on their platform. The last thing I'll say is this. What role does social media have in determining our culture? Well, that is something that you have to decide. When this many people are using it, affected by it, when it's encouraged this much division, 
we have to begin to win back culture. The way to do that is through using these platforms for good. Now, I'm not saying that everybody should be using them. I just said that, right? They're dangerous. They're destructive. The question is, are you convicted when you use social media? Are you convinced when you scroll through social media that your life is worse? Second question is, in terms of social media, what am I willing to put out there? What good am I willing to do? I think we need less people on Twitter um, roasting other people or commenting on sports. We need more people engaging in right conversation. Same on Facebook. I'm not talking about more Facebook arguments. I'm talking about is there a way to use these social media platforms for good and for truth? Ultimately, this is a faith and culture podcast, but we believe faith is true and that because it's true, it impacts culture. That's why we're here. Does social media contribute to that discussion? I don't know. Does yours? Does your social media contribute to that discussion? Mine doesn't. My Instagram page is whack. Got to get better. My Twitter, I had to delete Twitter. Twitter was too much for me. Twitter was sin for me to use. Facebook can be good, but I I get fed up with people and so um, the people on there. So I get how destructive it could be. I'm just saying, while social media is not a sin, we're not using it in the wisest way as the church. This is why I love the at Shandon College account um, because Shannon College is using it. We're using it to highlight students who are doing the right thing, who are living sent, who are out here changing lives. Our students are awesome. That's why the More and More podcast uses Twitter, uh, or excuse me, Instagram, is because we actually believe that this podcast could be a force for truth. The reality is, um, if you're going to social media for your source of truth, you are going to the wrong places. And this is where I want to land. Social media does not present truth. It presents a distorted view of who you are, who the world wants you to be, and who God is. The reality is that social media is not a source for truth. Social media is a source for just that. It's a source for social life. And you know as well as I do, Your social life often lies to you. Social media lies to you. It's time we brought truth back into social media and stop assuming that whatever we see on social media, whatever we read, whatever we want to read is true. So the question I want to leave you with today that I hope you'll think about is where does truth come from? Where does truth come from? Does it come for you from someone's Instagram post? It's a lie. Does it come from a Facebook post about politics? It's a lie. Does it come from a YouTube video? I hope not, man. I hope it doesn't come from a YouTube comment section. Y'all ever seen those? Those are like cesspools, man. I hope it doesn't come from any of those places. We believe that the truth comes from God's word, but that may be a different topic for a different day. All that said, happy scrolling, but find your truth elsewhere. It matters. All right, real quick, I want to jump into some things I like and some things I hate. First of all, things I like. I just read an amazing book um, called All the King's Men. It's about politics in the uh, uh, just after the Great Depression. Now, it's a, it's a novel. It's, it's fiction. Um, but, man, it is one of the well-written, most well-written books I've ever read. Probably a top 10 all-time book for me at this point. Um, I, it was just it was amazing. It's by Robert Penn Warren. I think it was written in the 40s or the 60s. I should probably have that up. If Caleb was here, he would tell me, but he's not. Um, It's just an excellent book, and it's commentary on the world 
is something that um, really, it just, it can't be matched. I want to pull up a quote that I had um, that just shook me when I read it. Uh, Let me, let me try to find it. So the, yeah, it says this, man, it's so good. There's a judge who uh, commits suicide in the story um, because of some, some evils that he's committed. And it says this, Judge Irwin's protracted and ineluctable self-destruction for either killing or creating may be a crime punishable by death. And the death always comes by the criminal's own hand, and every man is a suicide. If a man knew how to live, he would never die. And that just struck me, man, because that's, that's kind of the world we live in, is uh, that, that, that sentence, every man is a suicide, if we knew how to live, we would never die. <clears throat> yeah, it just it struck me as, as so true because we're ultimately a sum of our experiences. We're a sum of, of the things that we've gone through. And ultimately, death is, is the final experience that we're all going to go through. And every man accumulates defining things about himself. We all uh, are essentially identity makers. And this is why I find faith to be so compelling is because uh, faith gave me my subject gave me my identity. Christ has defined me as something totally different. And in this, this story, it's all about how we accumulate um, experience that identify, that are identities for ourselves. And so ultimately it led to this, this judge uh, committing the, the, the act of suicide. But this statement, every man is a suicide, basically the, the meaning there is that death is the, the culmination of our experiences. And our experiences are good and bad and they're sinful and they're good-hearted and they're all of the above. And ultimately, if we don't have something outside of ourselves to define us, then the end of that is death. If man knew how to live, he would never die. The good news of Christianity is that um, we know how to live and we don't believe death is final at all. And so uh, things I like this week is All the King's Men by Robert Penn Warren. Go read it. It's a little bit of nihilism. It's not going to tie a pretty bow on the world for you, um, but it did further push me into my faith and into the beauty of Christianity. Things I hate this week. I want to spend a short amount of time on this. Um, there is, I actually mentioned his podcast earlier in this episode, uh, Sam Harris. He's the host of the Making Sense podcast. He's the author of several books, including The End of Faith, as well as a book that I just finished yesterday called A Letter to a Christian Nation. It's very, very short. A Letter to a Christian Nation. thing you need to know about Sam Harris, he's, a, he's an atheist, uh, unabashedly. In fact, um, I would say militantly so. He is a neuroscientist, so he is, I will say this, he is far smarter than I will ever be. Um, he is also a political commentator. He is a left-wing guy. I subscribe to his podcast. He's, he's an excellent commentator, um, but he's all about free speech. Um, he is an anti-Trump guy. Like he, we disagree on on most things. He's a militant atheist, neuroscientist, left-wing anti-Trump guy. Um, we disagree on almost all of those things. So, uh, I read this book, A Letter to a Christian Nation, trying to get some more of Sam's ideas about the world. The essential thesis of the book is that America is identified as Christian. Now, that that's a key caveat that I would I would place on it. America, which identifies as a Christian nation, is ultimately dooming itself uh, by identifying as Christian. What I mean, he would assert that Christianity 
is problematic, incorrect, and morally corrupt, and that Christianity is actually leading to our moral decay. And so in this letter to a Christian nation, he is basically begging uh, Christians to abandon their beliefs, to abandon their faith, uh, in order to come to a better moral conclusion about the world. He believes that um, it's inconsistent to believe in Christianity, but it's also immoral to believe in such. Now, the reason why this is in the things I hate, typically there are some atheist books that I actually find really helpful and informative. I'll, I'll perhaps mention them on a later podcast. Um, this was not one of them. And I legitimately like Sam Harris. I, I listened to his podcast this past week on uh, consciousness with, that he did with his wife. Um, and it, it was honestly largely over my head, but it, was, it had some interesting ideas about the nature of being conscious and being human. Um, but his assertions in this book are, are just... They're almost incoherent, um, this letter to a Christian nation. Basically, he starts out by saying that Christianity is illogical, and he wants to prove that why, but ultimately what he ends up doing is talking about how immoral Christianity is. And then he pulls out passages uh, from the Old and New Testament that have what he sees as bad moral claims. Um, his, basically, his, his overarching theme is not just that Christianity is not true, but that Christianity and the God of Christianity is immoral. He's a bad God if he, if he were to exist. And he uses this as evidence um, that we have actually transcended our need, uh, psychological need for God. That ultimately the badness of this Christian God is evidence for his non-existence. I want to first say he takes almost everything he says out of context as far as what he quotes. And then his theology of Christianity um, and of the Old Testament especially is very, very bad. Um, he seems to take most of God's law in the Old Testament as absolute moral claims. For instance, um, the affirmation or what he sees as affirmation of slavery in both the Old and the New Testament. Um, to, to be blunt, he's, he's just wrong. He's inconsistent. So I want to first say the first thing I don't like about it, the thing I hate this week, um, is his bad theology. He needed, he needed someone to talk him through on a Christian side. He doesn't sound like he's um, made a very uh, deep dive into actual Christian Orthodox theology. Not Greek Orthodox, but Orthodoxy is in correct theology. Um, so that's number one. Number two, I reject wholesale the claim that God is immoral, but I also reject the idea that if he were immoral to you on our standard, um, that he that would mean that he doesn't exist. I reject that completely. He actually addresses this point. I think he doesn't do a good job, but he would claim that um, because uh, that he would, he would go against the claim that we're using human human standard of immorality to judge God, and therefore it was wrong. He would actually press back against that and say um, that it's it's not a human standard. It's an absolute standard. The problem is is that Sam Harris is an atheist and a materialist. And he doesn't believe that we have free will. And so without free will, without the ability to choose right and wrong, no one can be at fault for their moral decisions. You can't uh, say that we're ultimately just chemical reactions happening and then assert a moral law and apply that moral law to God. At least be consistent, Sam. I like Sam Harris. I'm going to continue to listen to his podcast. But this book did not do it for me. It was pretty bad. Um, the, the moral law that he's claiming to hold God to as a standard that God is wiping out whole people groups and that's always bad. My question to Sam Harris is why is that bad? And I'm not saying it's bad because God has deemed it bad. 
Although ultimately, as a Christian, I would say that that's part of it. But I'm saying that it would be bad even if God didn't exist. The moral law within us has to come from somewhere. But the fact that it remains that the moral law is in us. That's not a chemical reaction. That's a philosophical distinction. So ultimately, I think a letter to a Christian nation is an example of what happens when a good scientist, a good um, neurophilosopher, a good uh, guy who's... Um, operating and and understanding consciousness, tries to make religious and moral philosophy happen, he does a pretty bad job. Hitchens does this. Hawkins does this. But Sam Harris' um, foray into moral philosophy ultimately uh, is not super good. All that said, uh, we're right at the 37-minute mark, so I'm going to try to get out of here. Again, I'm going to interview Pat, uh, Dr. Patrick Wright, this week, who is an expert, I can't say that enough, he's an expert in ethics, um, is passionate about the issue of abortion, so we're going to touch back on that, but also we're going to talk a little bit about politics and the nature of that divide. This has been a More and More podcast approved by Shannon College. Um, we're excited to have y'all in and around. Uh, as always, uh, cautiously and in wisdom, follow us on uh, at the More and More podcast on Instagram, and follow us at Shannon College. Follow me at Hampton Harmon. I'm excited to uh, get to know you guys. We are going to put some questions out. We're, we're vamping up our social media game. So if you are using social media and wisdom, please interact with our page. Uh, we love you guys, and we hope that you'll check us out. Thanks. Thanks.